If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to focus actually on verses 16 and 17. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 to 4, 9 and 10, and then 16 and 17. So friends, this is God's word. Listen. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In verses 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. I want to start by asking you a question. What is your opinion of the Bible? Think about that. What do you think about the Bible? For some, it is the greatest book in the history of the world. Right? For others, it's a 2,000-year-old fairy tale. Some people respect it. Others dismiss it. Some people have based their entire lives on what it says. Others have sacrificed their lives to make sure that people can get access to it. The Bible that we have right now is radically different from the Bible that Jesus grew up reading. Okay? The Bible Jesus grew up reading was uh, significantly shorter. Jesus had this much in his Bible. What we've got here, this extra piece, this is the New Testament. Um, the reason that we have the Bible that we have, the reason that we have the New Testament is because Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, the resurrection of Jesus has inspired the New Testament. Okay, people were convinced that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. They saw him with their eyes. And the New Testament is the accounts from those people who saw him of what they saw and what it meant. And so the resurrection, right? Jesus' resurrection inspired the New Testament. And the message of the New Testament is that the resurrection of Jesus offers hope, love, courage, and meaning. The resurrection gives direction and purpose as you allow it to influence your thinking. Okay, as it influences your thinking. I don't know how many of you saw the Pixar movie Ratatouille. Right? You remember that movie? You, uh, lots of details. There's, there's, it's, it's about a French restaurant and an unlikely chef who runs that restaurant. Well, the movie builds to the climactic point where Anton Ego, right, the food critic, this highly esteemed, crazy, world-famous food critic, comes to the restaurant to evaluate it for himself. Okay? And when he walks in to announce that he's going to be coming back the next day, Um, he gets into a little bit of a banter with the supposed chef Linguini. And Linguini says, 
you know, you're, you're actually kind of thin for someone who likes food. And Anton says back to him in this like super pretentious voice, I don't like food. I love it. <laughs> and he walks out of the restaurant. That's my hope today, actually, as we look at these verses in Colossians. My hope is that you won't like the Bible. You will love it. And so for all of you here, whether you're Christian or not, my hope is that you will move toward the place where you will absolutely love the Bible. Okay, and I'm going to try to convince you that you should love the Bible. Christians, I want to give you, I want you to give more of your life to knowing and living out the Bible. Okay, and then non-Christians, I want to, I hope to make you curious and intrigued enough to explore the Bible with us here in this church community. Okay, that's my goal. And to get there, we're going to look at three questions about the Bible that we get from these verses. So if you want to write something down, here here are the, the points on the outline. We're going to see first, what is the Bible? What is it? Second, how can we understand the Bible? And then third, why did God give us the Bible? Okay, so what is the Bible? How can we understand it? And why did God give it to us? So first, what is the Bible? Verse 16 begins to help us understand it, understand that question. Verse 16 speaks of the word of Christ. The word of Christ. So according to this author, Paul, the Bible is the word of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're tracking a little bit or if you've been around church, you kind of know that uh, if this is the word of Jesus, how can that be? Because it was written by human beings, right? There wasn't this cosmic download where all of a sudden the Bible dropped out of the sky. Uh, Human beings wrote it. Paul was one of the people who wrote it. Well, to understand the dynamic there of human beings versus the word of Christ, um, if you flip over, if you have a Bible, just the very beginning of this letter, we see how the dynamic works. In chapter 1, verse 1, the very first sentence of this letter that we're reading, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay? What we see here is that that Paul was an apostle of Jesus. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, an apostle, to be an apostle um, was uh, the, the, the... the office of apostle was derived actually from the Old Testament, from the Jewish legal system. Okay? Um, And here's a definition. Uh, It says that where one person could be given the legal power to represent another person. Okay? That's what an apostle was. We we do it today with, with with, with the power of attorney. Right? If you have the power of attorney for someone, you can represent them. Okay? And so apostles had sort of power of attorney for Jesus. They were able to represent him. They could speak on his behalf. And so the apostles, they were these 12 people who were specifically chosen by Jesus to represent him. They were his representatives. They all had personally seen him raised from the dead. They were commissioned by God, it says in Scripture. They were his ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us. Paul says in another place, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, listen to this, he says, We thank God constantly for for you because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, 
Okay? So Paul spoke and they heard it. And he says, you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God which is at work in you. And so when Paul says in verse 16, the word of Christ, he believed, the church believed that he was actually speaking on behalf of Jesus. Now, the joy of this, the joy of understanding what what, what apostles were and what the authors of the Bible thought about themselves and what the church thought about them is that the existence of the Bible means something. And what it means is it means that God speaks to us. Okay, try to wrap your mind around that. That God speaks to us. He speaks to us. Makes sense from from one perspective, right? I mean, God, who the God who made the world, He wants us to know who He is. Right? And we see, I mean, one author has said that God has smothered the universe with his fingerprints. You know, so if you just look at the world, you can tell that there's something more out there. You can get a sense of the character of that person. Um, but even more than that, God has not just revealed himself in what he's made. He's revealed himself in the Bible so that we can know him and so that we can know how to have a relationship with him. Now, what I think is cool is that in verse 16, it doesn't just say, let the word of God, but it talks about the word of Christ. And I feel like this is Paul reminding us that the God who created us is also the God who loved us so much that he came into this world to die and rise again for us. You know, and you think about it, um, if somebody walks up to you off the street and starts telling you how you should live your life, probably not going to go very far, right? Your ears close, you, you look away, you, you leave the situation, right? But when someone uh, cares for you, right, when someone demonstrably understands who you are, what you're going through, when they take the time to really understand you, and then they begin to serve you, right? They take care of you. They, uh, when they do that, it's, you are much more inclined to listen to what they have to say, right? It's like they earn a platform. They earn credibility with you. And this is God who made you and who came to save you. Boy, how much more should we listen to him? We could spend a lot of time looking at the different arguments for the reliability of the Bible. We've done some of that in sermons past. I think the strongest evidence for what the Bible is, is what it does for the people who love it. Okay? You need to find people in your life who love the Bible and see what it does for them. Okay? Here's a phrase. Words create worlds. Okay? Words create worlds. And you know this. Your own experience tells you this. Because you know, have you ever read a book that made you feel like you were there? Have you ever heard somebody tell a story and you felt like you, were, you weren't there, but you were, right? 
Have you ever read a book or heard someone tell a story and something inside of you moved? And you felt like, whoa. Words create worlds. And this is what the word of Christ does for those who learn to love it. When you love the word of Christ, you enter into the world that Jesus is creating. Okay? The Bible says that God created the universe and the earth by speaking words. So there you have it literally. That words create worlds. The Bible is called the word of life. It is the word that brings life. The Bible is called a word from God. It's called the word of truth. The Bible is called, it's called the word that brings rebirth. That brings second chances. That brings a, a, a recreated life. The word is the light of God. The word sets you free. The Bible says that the word is, is, is like a sword. You know, it convicts, it sharpens us, it shapes us, it transforms us. The Bible creates faith. Creates faith. These are things that it does. So you want to think about when God speaks, stuff happens. And if the universe, if life and truth, if power and growth, if freedom can come from the word of Christ, then what will happen if you let the word of Christ come into your life? Think about that all that the Bible says about the power of the word of God, what would happen if that began to influence your life? Well, that's actually what we're going to look at next. We're going to look at next. Um, The first point is, what is the Bible? The second point is, how can we understand the Bible? Right? It's one thing to say the Bible does all these things, but how exactly does that work, right? How many times have you gotten the Bible out and said, okay, I'm really going to read it. You open it up, and first of all, you don't know where to start, right? Then you pick a place, and you just think, man, what in the world is going on here? I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me in my own life. I mean, we struggle. It's, it's, it's tough, right? You think about trying to live in this world that is created by the Word of Christ, it's hard to get in sometimes. You read it and you feel like, boy, this is like Greek. It's written in English, but it feels like Greek. How do we do this? How do we live so that the Bible makes sense? How do we, and when it doesn't make sense, what do we do, right? I mean, this is the question that we've got to answer. Paul's answer to this question is verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. Okay, the idea of dwelling means to live in, right? Like a dwelling place, or to be at home. 
So the image here is let the word take up residence and be at home in your life. Okay, let it move in. Okay, it's now your new roommate. And I like what he says there about richly. He says, dwell in you richly. You know, it's not just memorize John 3.16, but let it, in extravagant abundance, let it fill your life. Right? The more you devote yourself to the Bible, the more it will make sense. Okay? The more you devote yourself to the Bible, the more of its power will come into your life. And the more of God's world you will find yourself living in. Okay? There are times when it feels like you're like banging into a wall and you're banging your head and you, you can't, and then finally like you push through and you go, oh my goodness, I understand it now. You've you, you got to let it dwell in you richly. Okay, well, so how exactly do we do this? How do we let this happen in our lives? The rest of the verse tells us. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we've got teaching, admonishing, singing, and thankfulness. So we're going to do this together right now. Okay? Those four things. We've been dwelling on Colossians chapter 3 in our sermon series from Easter. Right? Why does the resurrection matter to us? And we've seen, so from a teaching perspective, we've seen that the resurrection matters because it causes those who follow Jesus, it causes those who follow Jesus to experience a resurrection of their own. Okay, we've seen that. That's what these verses say. So the beginning of letting it dwell in you is that you have to be able to read it, right? So you spend time reading it. And it says, you have been raised with Christ, verse 1. It says, you died, verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've experienced this resurrection, and part of that resurrection is a real transformation. Look at verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing you've put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self. So, when you experience a relationship with Jesus, there's a part of you that dies, right? And a part of you then that comes to life. We've been looking at that over the last few weeks in terms of looking at the different sermons. And so teaching is the process of not just reading it, but trying to understand what, is the, what do these verses mean, okay? So you read it, and you read it again, you read it again, and you get more understanding, right? And then you hear teaching about it, right? We teach one another. What exactly does this mean? I don't know. What do you think it means? This is what I think it means. What do you think it means? You know, that, that's the process that helps us. It helps the, that word of Christ to dwell in us more richly, right? You get insights. You're here in part because you want to meet with God, but also you want to hear from God. You want to hear someone that God has ordained teach you more about the Bible so that it can dwell in you more richly. Now, the second thing is admonishing. Teaching and then admonishing. Admonishing is like teaching, but it has an element of instruction or warning. Okay? And so with admonishing... Um, it's kind of how family members will help each other to follow Jesus. And so in, in one sense, if teaching is like, what, is this, what do these verses say? What do these verses mean? Admonishing is more, how does this apply to my life? And so Paul says admonishing one another. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to spend the next couple of minutes, and I want you to look at the verses here. 
verses 1 to 4, verses 9 and 10. And I want you to think, how could these verses help someone that you know with something that's going on in their lives? Okay, just think about that. You might have a friend with a problem, a friend with a struggle. Um, what would these, like, how could these verses help you to come alongside and encourage them in their lives, to give them some instruction, to help them apply these verses? Okay, and I'd encourage you to write, write, them, write down the name and, and write down what you, how you think these verses could apply to them. So take a couple of minutes and do that. Okay. So I don't know for me, like, so I just did this also. I hadn't, I didn't have a plan for how I was going to do this, but the Lord put someone on my heart and I started writing down. Did, did the truths of these verses grow a little bit for you? When you thought about how to maybe encourage someone else, did your understanding of these verses get a little bit deeper or a little broader? I mean, this is, this is part of the process. Sometimes it takes some practice. Um, I realize that, at least for me, I need to make sure that like, these things have tremendously practical expressions in life. And sometimes I stay up in the area of ideas. Um, and so what, I, what, what the Lord kind of put on my heart, where I feel like I've grown because I was thinking about how I might be able to encourage or admonish someone else, was that I need to make sure it's really practical, that it doesn't just have to be ideas. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of helpful. Um, but this is the process. What I like about what Paul's saying here is that he's saying that in order to let the word dwell in us, we have to not only take it in, right, and receive teaching, but we also have to give it out. And any of you that are teachers know that when you teach something, you learn it a lot better than when you just learn it. Um, and so... This is part of the invitation. If you want to live in the world that Christ is creating through his word, you have to not only take in, but things have to go out. You've got to be in relationships with other people. Okay, that's part of how the word sinks in. Okay, so that's teaching and admonishing. The third thing is singing. Singing, right? And, and almost this, this almost teaches itself. You know this, right? You spend time singing, you, you memorize what you sing, right? Music moves us in ways that teaching doesn't, right? Um, we think and dwell on what we sing. You, know, you have songs that play through your head. Have you ever had that experience where five years after you've memorized a song, you, you're rehearsing the lyrics in your head and you're like, oh, that's what that word was. Oh, that's what, oh, no way. I, had, I sang that a thousand times. I had no idea what it was about. You know, or I didn't know what that particular line was. You know, that kind of thing happens to us. And, um, and I, I like this because it makes it very real that there are some people who are intellectually driven and then there are other people who are much more emotionally catalyzed in their learning. You know, and if teaching hits your head, music hits your heart. You know, and not that those things don't also, you know, sort of conflate together, but um, there was one guy who said this. He said this, he said, let me write the songs of a nation and I care not who will write its laws. It's good. Let me write the songs and I don't care who writes the laws because if I can get him to sing, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. My viewpoint, I'm going to influence, I'm going to, you know, and so songs have the power to shape us. Um, it gives us both 
our emotions, and it creates experiences for us that mere words don't. And so um, we're going to sing a song together about the resurrection. The words are printed there next to the scriptures in your bulletin. It's a song that we've sung before, but I want you, as we sing this song, to connect this with the words that we've been studying together, with the teaching on the resurrection of Jesus in our lives, and see if the word of Christ doesn't dwell in you more richly from this experience. Any deeper? Any richer? I mean, sometimes just connecting the song with a scripture can be powerful. And you realize, oh, wait a sec, we're, we're singing about being united to Jesus. You know, that what happened to him happened to me. Whoa. You know, and that there's good news, especially when I think about how I don't always live raised with him. You know, that 
I do. I, my heart still like goes after earthly idols. And I need my heart to be turned back to Jesus, not to earn his resurrection, but because I already got his resurrection. Um, and so singing is, is another piece of this dynamic. It's, it's another um, way that we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Um, the last thing that, uh, that Paul says is he, he talks about thanksgiving. He says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, in thanksgiving, it's crucial. We talked about it last week. Um, it shows up again here in verse 16. So I want to talk about it again. Um, there was a guy um, who said this. He said, in life, we're not made happy by what we acquire, but rather by what we appreciate. It's good. It's not what we acquire that makes us happy. It's what we appreciate that makes us happy. Getting into thankfulness. He said the trouble that we have today isn't that we have nothing to be thankful for, but rather so many of us feel like we have no one to be thankful to. You know, oh, I'm so thankful. Oh, my life is so blessed. But if you don't turn that to someone, right, it's gonna, it just sits there. It doesn't go anywhere. But if you turn that into thankfulness to God, you become more a part of that world that his words are creating. You need to express um, thanks and feel like it's been received. That's part of what makes us human. You've got to feel like you're not just throwing stuff up into the air, hoping that something catches it. But you need to feel like there's a God up there receiving your thanks. And when that happens, you feel more complete. Like the loop has been closed. This is why worship is so important. It's why we come together. It's to offer God thanks. It's to show God how thankful we are that we would order our lives in a way that revolves around Him. So expressing that thanks to God brings a completeness that's missing. And uh, we just, we, we can't forget, you know, that it's the word of Christ. And so the idea here is that as you dwell on him, his word will dwell in you. So with teaching, admonishing, singing, and thankfulness, you dwell on him, thinking about him, then more of his word will dwell in you. In you. And so that's the how. That's, that's how we understand the Bible. So our last question is, why did God give us the Bible? Like, why do we have it? What's the purpose of it? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we would say, and we already have said, that um, he gave us the Bible so that we would know him, we'd know who he is and how to have a relationship with him. But there's something more to it than that. There's something more to it than that. God gave us the Bible so that you would be his flesh and blood presence in the world. God gave us the Bible so that you would be his flesh and blood presence in the world. Okay? God knows that words are not enough. If you've spent any time with anybody who has any ounce of cynicism in them, right? You know that words are not enough. People talk about God. They talk about religion. They talk about Christianity. But what people want to see is something to see, right? They don't want to just hear, they want to see it. 
And, and God says it's okay to feel that way. God says, I, feel, I felt that way. I felt like words were not enough. Even my words were not enough. Right? The beginning of the Gospel of John. You've got it in your bulletin. Verses 1 and 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. But it wasn't enough. We needed more. And so verse 14. And the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Same word as in Colossians 3.16, dwell. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God doesn't just speak, but he wants to become flesh and blood reality. So the people cannot just hear what he has to say, but see what it looks like in practice. Right? Jesus was the flesh and blood revelation of the word of God. Everything that God said was embodied in Jesus. In the life of Jesus, you see all of God's ways. You see exactly what God is like. You find out exactly everything that God had said. It's like, oh, that's how it looks. Oh, I get it now. Oh, so, okay, I get it now because I can see Jesus doing this. And so you see God's ways. You also see God's salvation in the life of Jesus, right? Because his life of showing what God is like led him to the cross so that we could see what God is like. That the God of the Bible, the God who inspired the word, the God who came down in the flesh is a God who cares so much that there is no length to which he will not go to save people and bring them back. Jesus makes God's word flesh and blood reality. But now Jesus is in heaven. Right? Colossians 3, verse 1. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Right? Jesus is in heaven. He's not here. So where now can people find God's word in flesh and blood? It's through you. It's through you. God is calling all of us, his people, to enflesh his word in the world. The world that God is creating with his words, you are part of that. You're part of that. We, we sang it, right? We are his hands and his feet, right? The reason that we want to have compassion on a world that's broken isn't just because that's the right thing to do, but it's because we want people to see the world that God is creating. We want to be a part of that world. So we are his hands and feet. We show how Jesus' resurrection matters in real flesh and blood. Now, if you are like me, you're thinking, good grief, is he serious? Like, God, no. Like, I can't. No. Like, that doesn't work, right? 
Like, who's sufficient for that? Right? Can you do that? Are you, how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing? Being the flesh and blood, the enfleshment of the word of God today. Right? That's how I feel. Who's sufficient for these things? This Paul even said in another place. We've been talking about this resurrection life. Yeah, that we're supposed to be living. We put off the old self. We put on the new self, right? That's the reality that it's supposed to create. How are you doing? If you're like me, you're struggling. There's times where maybe you can see the resurrection life. There's times where you clearly don't see it. If you want to know how to live the resurrected life, you need to spend time with the resurrected one. This is why verse 16 comes in the progression of this passage. Because Paul realizes that the only way that you will put more of the old self off and put more of the new self on is if you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you are being filled with the good news that Jesus' cross has taken away your sins and his resurrection has given you acceptance and assurance and power from God. When you dwell on that, when you encourage each other, when you talk about how, what does this mean, how does this apply, when you sing, when you do these things, that is how more of this world becomes part of your life. you got to let Christ dwell his, his, his word dwell in you richly. I mean, he's inspired this world, right? He's created this new world. He's recreating a world. And you can read about it. You can read about what he's doing. That's why we do this. That's why we read the Bible, right? There are a lot of times where people have been made to feel guilty and reading the Bible becomes this guilt thing, right? How much did you read this week? Oh, that much? Boy, you really didn't do very much, did you? Or gosh, you know, you really ought to read the Bible every single day or there's something wrong with you. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't spend every day in your life in the Bible, right? These are things that breed guilt. That's not the message of Jesus. That's not the word of Christ, right? The word of Christ is about having a relationship with God and it's about wanting to experience more of that relationship. And so there is a way to approach, right? The, the, reading the Bible is not about guilt. Um, you want to approach the Bible so that it can give life, right? There's a way to approach reading the Bible where the Bible becomes water that can quench your thirsty soul. There, there, there's a reading of the Bible um, that makes the Bible light, that is shining in that dark place in your life. There's a way to read the Bible so that it becomes like a healing balm placed right on the wound inside of you. There's a way to read the Bible so that that it becomes a source of peace right in that place where you have fear and doubt. There's a, there's a, there's a way to read the Bible so that, so that the Bible becomes this place of recreation 
right in the area where your life has broken down. And the way to do that is to realize that every time you read the Bible, you are you're spending time with Jesus. It's the word of Christ. And it can be all those things for you. It can do all of those things. And, and when it does, as it does, in the process of you experiencing Jesus in his word, as you do that, God shapes you into the kind of person that then becomes his flesh and blood presence in the world. That's what it's designed for. God gave you the word so that you can be its embodiment here in this church family because there's people here that need your insight. They need your relationship with Jesus. They need your encouragement, okay? There's people here who need you. And then there's people in your life outside, right? Friends, neighbors, coworkers, colleagues, family members. And they first want to see it before they hear it. And so you come to the good gift of Jesus and then you become God's good gift to the world. Are you with me? I don't just like the Bible. I love it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the enfleshment of God's word. Everything that we read in the Bible, you lived it out. You are a glorious, glorious picture of all that the Word says. And we thank you that the beginning of a relationship with you starts at the cross because as all of us would want to be more like you, we've all failed. And we need, first and foremost, your forgiveness. But Lord, help us to spend time with you. Help our reading of the scriptures not to be simply an effort in in getting more knowledge, but help us to see that you are the one that all of these verses, that this whole Bible points to, that you are the one that makes it real. You are the person behind all of the ideas, all of the realities in scripture. Lord, as we dwell on your word, make it come true for us. Lord, touch those here so that every one of us would be more in love with your word because we'd be able to see what it can do and then begin to see what it actually does in us. And then make us, if we can humbly ask, make us your good gifts to the world. Lord, I pray that even this week that you would do profound and significant things in our lives as we spend time with your word so that we can taste and see that it's real. Do this for us, we beg. Amen.